One thing that's even more neat or neater is to hear the generational stories on the customer's end. You know, we did work for the dad, his son then or daughter then got a house. Dad said, hey, you just need to call those arc fence, have those guys out. You know, maybe possibly a third, three generation story of, you know, the grandfather did business with my grandfather. And then, you know, thus they just need to call us and get a fence. For many trades businesses, standing the test of time means generational transfers. But that stuff doesn't go very smoothly often. Today's guest, his business was started 60 years ago by his grandfather, and it's since been transferred to his father and now to him. So we talk to him, we go into detail on trying to figure out what can be done to make this stuff smooth and hear about what he's learned in his experiences in making this business last and stand the test of time. Now, before we jump into it, I know I've asked you guys to do it. If you haven't, pick up your phone, whatever listening device you're on, Google Play, Stitcher, iTunes Store, give us a rating, one star, five star, good, bad. I want to hear your feedback. I want to know what you guys think of the podcast Give me a review, a rating, and of course, if you're not already a part of the Facebook group, the Home Pro Sales and Marketing Lounge, look for it in the show notes, a link somewhere around where you click the play button to listen to this episode. Find that link, go join the group. It's for trades, business owners, and managers only, so if you fit into that, go join the group. I'll be happy to have you in there. We've got over a 1,000 members. The discussion, communication, and collaboration gets better each and every day in there. So it's an awesome resource. On that note, let's jump into this conversation with Joe Everest. Joe Everest, man, wearing a bright orange shirt. Welcome to the Home Pro Success Show. I appreciate you having me, Corey. Man, I'm glad to have you on here. The bright orange color branding you guys have sticks out in my mind. That's probably one of the reasons why you're one of the first in my mind of people to invite on here. But we'll talk about that as we get into it. For all of our listeners out there, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about your business, where it's at, what it looks like, what you guys do. Sure. Yeah. So we're a fence installation contractor in Southwest Missouri, specifically Springfield, Missouri. We service about a 30 mile radius of Springfield. So this fence company was passed down from my grandfather to my father and then my father to me back in 2016. So one, we've been around since 1955, and two, uh, we're a third-generation family-owned company. 1955. So I have to ask, you know, how many customers do you have that have came back to you that have just been around almost forever? It's like every time they buy a new house, they're calling you guys back up, and you literally remember this stuff. You know where they move, you know what they're up to, and it's just like they're there. They're customers for life. Yep, yeah, yeah. So with fencing, I mean, we're we're not a constant purchase. You know, we're like, you said, we're a purchase every time they get a new house or a storm comes through, which that's neat. You know, having customers for life is always great. One thing that's even more neat or neater is to hear the generational stories on the customer's end. You know, we did work for the dad, his son then, or daughter then got a house. Dad said, Hey, you just need to call those arc fence, have those guys out. You know, maybe possibly a third, three generation story of, you know, the grandfather did business with my grandfather. And then, you know, thus they just need to call us and get a fence. That's pretty cool because I know, well, I've owned Gulf Coast Aluminum since I started it in 2012. So a little over seven years at this point. And, you know, even though it's like screen enclosures, you don't really need a ton of maintenance. It's not something you're buying once a year. But we've actually had customers now that have, you know, had us do their project, sold the house, got a new house and are calling us back. And that's just... It's really intriguing. It's kind of powerful. You know, I don't really know how else to describe it other than it's just powerful. You're kind of, these people are customers for life and it's a hard to quantify value because it's 
such a long period between purchases, it's hard to quantify, but it is really, really, really cool to see. Yeah. You know, the average home purchase is like every whatever, five to seven years. So once we've done a fence, we've done a great job. We know realistically that if we do a great job in another five or seven years, they'll hopefully come back and give us a call again. You know, and it is great to hear those people that, you know, we see them in our system from before and uh, we see them come back through at a new address. So we always bring it up and, oh, yeah, yeah, you guys did our last fence. You guys did a great job. We just knew that you guys would be the ones we call. Right on, man. That is some awesome stuff. Uh, let's get some more details here on your company. Roughly how big are you guys? How many guys got on staff? Are you doing residential, commercial fencing? Yep. Yeah, we do residential and commercial. We do about a 50-50 split. And we do some government projects, but not not so many of those. Residential commercial is kind of our bread and butter. 14 guys. Well, I say 14 guys. 12 guys, two gals, including myself. We've got a couple of rock stars in our office that do a tremendous job. You know, making sure our office runs efficiently and smoothly. Yeah, there's 14 of us. It's decent size for a, for a trades business. I mean, you know, it's certainly not a small one by any means. And it looks like you guys have obviously got the systems in place. And I'd guess that you've had some guys there that, that have been there a long time. So there's a lot of efficiency that goes in once you get guys that are really good and they've been there for a long time. I remember when we were first starting out, without getting into specifics, we had projects like, let's say it would take me and two helpers a week to do. Now we've got a three-man crew that can bang this stuff out in a day, maybe two tops. You know, and I, I remember starting out thinking about how difficult it was and how hard it was to make money. And I'm looking at all these other companies. I'm like, how in the hell do they make any money? You know, because it takes us a week to do this project. Well, eventually, you know, you get more efficient, you get better people on board. And once you have them, then you can really bang through some revenue. So what's the average tenor of, you know, of your guys on staff? Yeah. So, you know, average would probably be three to five years. That's pretty good. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've, so we're starting a new division of our company. The guy that's taking the lead, taking the charge on that has been with us for seven years. So we try to foster a family atmosphere, you know, being that we're family owned and operated fence company, we try to foster that same atmosphere with our guys. You know, they're not employees or family, you know, extended family, but this is family that we got to choose. You know, so it's that we try to have that culture that goes along with that. You know, we do we do company outings a few times a year. You know, I, I touch base with most everyone in the company on a daily basis. How are the kids? How are things going on? How's life going? You know, so we try to provide a culture that's more than, you know, just a job, more than just an employment. These guys are friends outside of work. You know, we text each other outside of work. We're trying to foster, like I say, a culture of family you know, of a positive family atmosphere. Yeah, bringing the whole group together. Any magic to keeping, you know, I mean, I, I shouldn't say the word magic because I don't like that word. You know, there's no there's no magic. There's no shortcuts. Anything that really works, though, as far as keeping a team together, like, like what's your two cents on it? Like, you know, going back to day one, what is the one thing that you would certainly do that really works to kind of keep everybody on the ship? Yeah, and you got to hire for character. You know, I, I and that's not unique to me. I've, I've heard that somewhere, but you absolutely hire for character and then you train the rest. You know, that's key to it is in the interview, you know, in the interview process is myself, their direct supervisor will be in on the initial interview. You know, we'll have a few work related questions, but most of them are just like personality questions. What do you do for fun? You know, what's your idea of a great day? What's your idea of a bad day? You know, what's a no go situation like this? What's a situation that comes up and you just are having none of it? You know, what, what's your personality like? Like, who are you and, and what do you want out of this job? Where do you see yourself in five years is a bit of a cliche question, but it gets to the point of, 
listen, is this a job? Do you want a job? Because we don't really hire people to do jobs. We hire people that want careers. You know, they want a place to say they want a place that they want to be proud to work at. You know, we're all on the same team here. You know, we don't have, we don't have sales teams, production teams. We don't have, you know, fabricating. It's just, we're all team Ozark fence, you know, and that goes a long way in that I like to tell the guys, Hey, our organizational chart doesn't look like a pyramid. It's not me standing at the top. It It's as flat as you can imagine it. I've got my job and my job is to keep the ship pointing in the right direction, but you've got your job, which is, you know, digging holes and setting concrete. And your job is absolutely as important as my job. You know, if, if we don't set concrete, then the whole, the rest of it falls apart. So, you know, we, our organizational charts flat, you know, I'm no more important than anybody else. But back to the original question is you hire for character. You know, you hire guys that you think are going to get along with the other guys, you know, and that's, we have a pretty quick shakeout. You know, we'll have an, I'll have a meeting with the supervisor after a week and say, what do you think? You know, and, and I'm not asking, are they learning? I'm not asking, you know, how proficient are they at building fence? I'm asking, do they get along with everyone? You know, are, are they showing up before work? Are they, you know, on time is late sort of thing. Are they showing up before work? Are they getting along with everybody? Like, what's their personality like? Do they, do they match? And at that point, it's a yes or a no, you know, and get the personality to match and pull them up through the ranks or build them up. Essentially, yeah, that's exactly right. You know, building fence is not rocket scientists. There's no degree for building a fence. You know, it's all trainable. So really, we're worrying about team dynamics. You know, and one team dynamic could be completely separate from a second team. So, you know, if that first week's conversation goes something like, well, you know, they didn't really, they're here on time and they're really trying, but, you know, he's just not getting along with whomever else. I don't think it's a, you know, it's not a conflict, but they just, they don't get along so well. Okay, well, we'll try them somewhere else. We'll try them on a different crew if there's space or we'll try them some, you know, somewhere else within the company because I want to give everyone the most chances possible, but then at the same time, keeping him on that crew when I, when we know that, you know, there's an abrasion there doesn't do anybody any favors. Absolutely. I agree with you on that. So the guy you've got that's been with you seven years, it's heading up the new division. Well, what is the new division? What are you guys going to be doing? But what I wanted to ask, did he start with you? Was his first experience in fencing with Ozark Fence or did he have experience before he came on board with you guys? Yeah, He came in with experience. So the new division staining and sealing fences, decks, you know, pergolas, everything. If it's wood, we'll stay and seal it. But no, so he came in with experience. And actually, so he came in as an amazing asset. He had worked as a general contractor or for a nationwide general contractor. He'd also owned his own contracting business. And then he came in to us both with fencing experience, but also the business ownership experience and, you know, systems and processes experience working for a nationwide general contractor. So he came in as an incredible asset. Yeah, man, you got a, sounds like you had a good find there. Yeah, he walked in the door. He just came in one day and said, hey, you know, are you guys hiring? I'm new to the area. He moved down from about three hours away. There's a major metropolis and he moved down from there. He said, hey, I've got some fence experience. I've built fence in my past. I'm looking for a job to get settled in here. What do you think? You know, and in all honesty, we underutilized him for a while. We didn't realize his true potential. You know, and he was working as a helper for quite a long time when when he should have been shot straight into a foreman type position. Yeah, wow. That's I don't know what else to say, but that's awesome. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's not every day. Well, certainly not every day. Uh, you know that. Otherwise, you would have a bunch of guys like him that you have people like this that just walk in. Because I'll tell you, and I know a lot of people out there can relate. I get people that call in all the time. Hey, are you hiring? I know exactly what to do. And man, you hire them and boom. I mean, total, total 
let down. They, it's quite clear most of them have never done it or I don't know what they did before, but it wasn't what they said they could do. I would say the majority of our bad hires have been the folks that knew everything about whatever we were hiring for. Yep, I got it. I've got all the experience. I know exactly what I'm doing. No problem, sir. I can do it all. Uh, or maybe not even do it all, but I can do this task super well. No worries about me. Yeah. They either yeah. oversold themselves or they brought in a lot of baggage that we just that just didn't will, work well with us. You know, they knew one way of doing it and that was the way to do it. And our way was just not right. And their way was right. And yeah, it just creates conflict going down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would rather hire someone with zero experience, but a great attitude and great character and turn those guys into awesome fence guys. I agree with you out there. I agree with you. And it, it's hard to say it. And, you know, I know I say it a lot and everybody on the show says it. And I wish it would have been hammered into my head because way back when I started GCA, back in the glory days, I mean, we were running the ads that say, you know, must have 10 years experience, have valid driver's license, have all your own tools. We were hoping for this godsend that would basically just kind of show up and, you know, take the whole operations off our hands. And that didn't happen. And if that guy did come through the door, he would absolutely be the most expensive guy in your organization, like irregardless, you know. Well, yes, he would be the most expensive guy in our organization. And six weeks later, when he found somebody else who would hire him for 20% more, he'd be the most gone guy in our organization, too. And yeah, we I've gone down that road. And maybe take a couple of the other guys that do really well, too. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So something to be said there. Now, you took over in 2016. Did you start doing fences when you were like five? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're sooner. Yeah. I mean, it's it's typical of any family business. You know, I started out picking trash up out of the yard, you know, cleaning up the office, riding around in the truck with my dad when he go, went to do after hours service calls. It was just, you know, nights and weekends were spent with him doing something fence related. I did that through middle school into high school. High school, I started building fence. Um, so, well, first I learned how to weld and then started in our fabrication shop. Uh, first couple years in high school. And then the second couple, I was actually building fence, setting fence posts. And then I was on set crew for a while. Then finishing. And then in, when through college, I was in more of a sales and management type position. But so, you know, at the time I didn't see the value of that. You know, as a, as a teenager, I did not see the value of uh, spending my time welding up uh, fence gates. Uh, but today, you know, I feel really fortunate for it just because I know every aspect of the business. You know, when I'm asking someone to go set fence posts, I'm not asking them to do anything that I wouldn't go do and that I, I know how to do, you know, and that's, I think that's invaluable, just that I know every aspect of the business. I know how long something should take. I know how it should be done. I mean, we're always open for suggestions and looking for efficiencies, but I also I also know when something told to me might not be the whole truth. So Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have to know what your guys are up to and how they're you have to set the standard, I guess, is where I'm going with that. You know, you you can't not know if they catch on to that you know, then they kind of, then it'll get milked. You know, I, I don't know how else to say that. Well, and, and it helps you when you're looking at a project, you know exactly what to look for. Oh yeah, exactly. You have a clear standard. You can say that is not the way that I would do it. That is not how I would do it. That's not how I would walk away from that project. Or you see something that seemingly is, is not a big deal, but you know, that is going to take an extra three hours. You know, what looks like it's a quick five minute deal. It will take three hours for one guy. So, you know, to be- no, nothing is ever a five minute quick deal. <laughs> Oh, man, I can't tell you how many times I've had, well, both customers and employees say, oh, it won't take me long, just another five, 10 minutes. And you're like, 
No, that's that's you know half a day or worse. Or, or customers that'll call in and they'll be like, hey, you know, just just one or two hours, all I need you out here. And you're looking at like nothing is one or two hours. That's a full day. Yeah. Hey, while your guys are out here, could they do this quick thing for me? I say, well, I'd be glad to come out and take a look at it and give you a bit on it. Oh, it's it's not that big of a deal. It's really quick and easy. I guarantee it's neither quick nor easy, or you would have done it. Yeah, yeah. Scope creep. It's vital. You got to keep. I mean, you got to keep tabs on it. Otherwise, scope creep will just straight up run you out of business. I don't want to say out of business, but out of efficiency. It'll eat your profitability a hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you got to have that scope documented and stick to it. So you start doing this stuff when you can walk, essentially you're walking in the biz or start working in the business, you know, when you're young, you can walk, clean and stuff up. You're welding in high school. Real quick, do you guys do like ornamental fencing, like metal railing? I know you guys do wood and vinyl and PVC probably. Do you do metal? We do some ornamental. So we don't actually do railing in our local industry. It's a different, it, the insurance, it's a different insurance code, you know, so we stay away from railing, but yeah, we do ornamental iron as our three main Fences in residential are going to be a chain link fence, a wood fence, or an ornamental iron fence. Of those three, we're known for wood fence. I've got, I have one crew that specializes in nothing but wood fence. I have another crew that does chain link and ornamental and miscellaneous repairs. So one, one crew just only does wood. All right. So you're doing some welding, but that's still not the core of your business, not the bulk of your business. You're in college. You graduate college. Well, how long after you graduated college till you took it over? I did not graduate college. Oh, you didn't. Okay. No, so I, it, and well, you know what? <laughs> it doesn't make a bit of difference in your life, I'm sure, at this point. No, that's a whole different discussion. But no, had I graduated college, I would have be I would be in the same spot. You know, I I have a whole whole rant and rave about colleges, but but no. So I went for a few years to college, realized that wasn't for me, meaning that I didn't do well at school, and so the the college told me it wasn't for me, and then so I just jumped headfirst into the business. You know, my dad said, "Hey, look." Let's let's have an honest conversation here. College isn't going well, and we could really use you at the fence company. You know, we I see a way that we can grow, and we could use you. So yeah. So but from that point, so that would have been oh four oh five. So it was another another eleven years, ten eleven years until I bought the business. So I bought the business in two thousand sixteen. So you, so you're basically you know at the top of the ship till you bought it out in uh, 2015, 2016. Walk us through you know, what would be the handover process? I mean, well, obviously it was long and drawn out in this case. I mean, just how did you pull it off? Because most businesses don't withstand a generational transfer. Your business has done it twice at this point. Yeah. You know, yeah, it, it took every bit of a year to iron everything out, to manage expectations and to make sure both of us understood what the company would look like after, you know, after the purchase, after it became mine. You know, you have all the legal documents you want, but if there's not an understanding on, hey, this is what the transition is going to look like, it won't go well. You know, and, and I'll be honest, you know, anyone in a family business understands, you know, these conversations were not always pleasant for both of us. You know, I had my vision of what I thought the transfer would look like. My dad had his vision of what the transfer would look like. And honestly, it ended up somewhere in the middle, you know, so I didn't get everything. I So what, what did your dad think it would look like versus what did you think it would look like? Give us some more detail on that. You know, I was probably naive in the fact that I'd never bought a business before. I mean, you know, I'm at the time, you know, I was early, I was 30, 31. Yeah. I mean, you know, we're all just buying businesses <laughs> left and right. Everybody's done it before, you know? Right, right. right. Everyone <laughs> what what do you mean you were naive? Why would you be naive? You should have done this 10 times in life. Yeah. Well, true. Fair point. Fair point. <laughs> but no, I mean, I just, I don't know. I really thought that since it was family, I would probably get a deal on it. 
I really felt like, you know, on day one, he would just, you know, the organizational chart such as it was would flip and, you know, I would be at the helm and he would just be, you know, <laughs> taking, not taking orders, but taking direction from me. And he had expressed his belief that that wasn't true at all, that, you know, he would still, you know, retain some autonomy to make his own decisions, to do his own thing while working for us. That was really the conversation that occurred the most is what the organizational chart and the uh, charter responsibilities would look like moving forward. You know, and we found a sweet spot that, that probably not everyone would find in that, you know, he runs his own division of our company. He runs our commercial fencing division. So through that, he has a lot of autonomy. You know, he makes a lot of his own decisions, you know, without consulting, which is perfectly okay because I know as a former owner of the business, he knows what he's doing. He knows where margins need to be. He knows just everything. So like I say, it, it didn't work out well for all of us or, you know, it didn't work out a hundred percent in my vision of, you know, I just take control of the ship and point it in a new direction and off we go. And he really, you know, we still have, you know, we have daily meetings on, Hey, what are you working on? What's going on? What are your wins? To, you know, what were your wins yesterday? What were your losses yesterday? You know, what's coming up that you're not you know comfortable with that sort of thing. And so we still have a lot more conversation than he had probably anticipated. He really pictured it as, you know, me buying the company and him getting to, to do what he wanted. It's just both sides just had a different different outlook on how it would look. And like I say, I, I think with any good, you know, transition, we both got a lot of what we wanted and we compromised a little on on some of the things and, and we ended up somewhere in the middle. You know, I think the company's better for it, you know, that away. But and I'm sure the transition between him and my grandfather was a lot the same. My grandfather's vision for the company wasn't quite the same. You know, he was he was very content to keep it the, the size we were. Uh, to service, we were residential mainly with a few commercial clients, and he had no no ambition to grow. And you know, it was what it was, and it was fine as it was. So my dad's vision was, no, this needs to grow and scale. You know, our family is growing. The company ought to grow to try to help support the family. And, you know, the community needs more of a presence from a company like ours. So they, I wasn't privy to all their conversations, but several of them revolved around the fact that, you know, was scaling a good thing or not? You know, and that's a conversation we still have. You know, the conversation happened when we were talking about the new division, you know, is scaling, I mean, let's be honest, look at the economy we're in. It's incredible. It's been going on forever, but the party always ends at some point, you know, it never goes on forever. So, I mean, are we scaling at the peak? might not be a great idea, you know, so we still have similar conversations, but I know his growing point with my grandfather and the transition was, was the scale of the company. Family dynamics are tough. You know, you would say things to family that you wouldn't say to an employee, you know, because you know that you just know that there's history there and you know, there's trust there. You also sometimes don't say things to family that you wouldn't have a problem saying to an employee, you know, and that's, my dad and I have a lot of conversations that, you know, and I'll, I'll pull punches that normally I wouldn't pull. You know, I would, I usually have very open and honest conversations with my guys, but I know that that conversation would spark a whole argument with my dad. And so I pull the punch and we move on, you know, it's just family dynamics are tricky. They're really, yeah, it's certainly a tricky dynamic there. 
one that probably none of us have mastered. It's just kind of something you got to get your feet wet in and see what goes on from there, see what happens. How does a company, I mean, let's talk about this. You know, you took it over. How do you think it looks different from when, from if your dad were in there? Like, is there anything you guys did differently once you were top of the pyramid? Well, yeah. And and I'll just touch on this briefly. I know you guys talk a lot about it, but our marketing on day one changed dramatically. Prior to my ownership, my dad's marketing was was a nice display ad in the Yellow Pages. Yeah, well, I mean, you brought the marketing into the 21st century. Yeah, we did a little bit on Facebook. I mean, he gave me he gave me a small budget to play with. To his credit, you know, he let me play on this thing called Facebook. Yeah, and that's really where I learned to become proficient on it. But the budget was a couple hundred dollars a month. You know, and that's while that is effective, it could be it could be scaled significantly. So yeah, day one, day one, we started. You know, with Facebook advertising. We also are active on the radio, local radio, on several of the stations, local radio. We teamed up with our, we're a Springfield, Missouri is a minor league affiliate with the St. Louis Cardinals baseball program. So we teamed up with our local Springfield Cardinals, became an advertising sponsor with them, meaning we've got a bunch of advertising at the ballpark. You know, it just, we, we really ramped up marketing. So you, you kicked up the marketing. Is it paying off at this point? Incredibly well. Yeah, we've... Incredibly well. Since 2016, we've had roughly 30% growth year on year. Year over year since 2016. So you guys have nearly doubled at this point. That's damn good stuff. Before we jump down into marketing entirely, <laughs> it's funny how the conversation turns right to marketing. And I'm like, my ears are perking up right now. Anyways, before we go back to marketing entirely, let's just go back to the transition. Knowing what you know now, what would you have done differently in the years before handover? Anything that we can take away from that? That's, I I really think that's a case by case basis. Yeah. I probably would have started the conversation earlier. You know, just there was no deadline to our transition. You know, it wasn't, we had a magical date that we had to get it done by. We all just kind of came, we both came, we had the discussion one winter and we said, Hey, January 1st sounds like a good day. Like let's make it happen by then. But I would have started that conversation sooner. When he and I had the conversation, he had brought it up as he wanted to. He wanted to focus on. So yeah, exactly. yeah. Talk about that. How did it come up? Did you did you approach him? Did you say, "Hey, I'm ready to go," or did he say, "Look, I'm getting sick and tired of doing this, man"? It was a little of both. Yeah, he started off by saying, "Hey, you know, I really see an opportunity. We do. We've done commercial fence for a while, but I really see an opportunity by me just focusing solely on commercial fence. We've got several large customers. We're the world headquarters for uh, Bass Pro Shops and O'Reilly Automotive." Those are two of our good customer commercial clients, but amongst some others. But anyway, he said, hey, I this is a win for us. I need to focus on it. I need you to take the day-to-day operations. I need you to take the residential off my plate. Let me focus on this. And I thought about that for a little bit. And I said, well, you know, it sounds like that sounds a lot like me buying the company and you running the, re- the commercial division. Uh, and that's kind of, <laughs> and at first the answer was, no, it's not. That's not what that sounds like at all. That sounds like you just doing this. So now, now think about it. Like, let's think about this. It, it, and so, you know, over the course of a month or so, that conversation happened more and more until we kind of said, okay, yeah, that does sound, that is kind of what this looks like. I would have started that conversation sooner. Yeah. So in hindsight, you would have pulled the card up earlier on some type of, you know, takeover, buyout or. Or he would have started the conversation sooner. You know, I, mean, I think any business owner should have an exit plan, period. Like the day you start, you should know, like, or have an idea what your exit looks like. You know, especially in family business, you know, a family business, you know, which of your, you know, kids is most active in the business, you know, which ones are proficient at the business and, and kind of what that looks like. You have to have the discussion early and often, you know, hey, here's here's where we're headed. 
you know, here's where I think the exit looks like or the transition looks like. Here's where I see it happening. You know, I mean, anything can happen. This isn't set in stone, but you, that conversation should happen early. You know, I think a lot of people find themselves in a bad situation because they come up against some deadline that shows up and they haven't even had that conversation. You know, they don't, they don't even know what the transition looks like. And then it's rushed. And when it's rushed, just like in contracting, if you rush a job, there's going to be issues. It's not going to come out looking like you want it to look like. And it's not going to be a great experience for anyone involved. You know, if you at least have a conversation of, hey, this is my intent. I'm obviously not going to live forever. I don't want to do this forever. What do you think? Like, where do you see, you know, yourself coming to this? So we could have organized the business a little bit differently and made it a little bit easier to transition. You know, we, we could have done any of any of a number of things, but I really wish that conversation had happened earlier. And it's got to come from the top, though. It, if I had started that conversation earlier, it would have looked like a kid wanting to have his dad's business. Yeah, man. You know, that, that's what was going through my mind. You know, starting early. Well, how do you start that conversation earlier? Because the general default is like, hey, my kids aren't ready to take over this business. My son isn't ready yet. My dad was not in the contracting business. But if he was, he wasn't in any business. But if he was, I know even now at 29, he would say, you know, I'm not ready to do it. At 22, he was still around at that time when I told him what I was doing. Well, actually, I didn't tell him what I was doing because I knew that he was going to tell me I was an idiot. and It would make no money and it would fail. So I waited to tell him until after it had started. We'd been around for about a month and we actually had some work on the books. We're pulling in revenue. Then I told him and he's like, oh, yeah, there's no money in that. That's not going to work. Not going to happen. You're, you know, you're going to fail hard. And I'm like, actually, <laughs> actually, there's already a bank account that's got money and we've got work on the books. And suddenly shit got real, real quick after that one you know once what's that caught on so yeah i know as a young guy you know talking to your father it can't be easy to pull that up because you're to your parents you're just never ready for that and you know looking back at 22 looking back at myself i don't know how the hell i made it i don't know how we made it myself and my business partner starting a business at 22 and with what we know now even it's like what, what yeah what did we do then i mean you just figured out i mean that's never an easy conversation to bring up as as the child in that scenario really the parent needs to initialize it and say, Hey, now listen, you're 22. So let's be clear that this isn't happening tomorrow, but you're ambitious. You do well in the business. I see you as being an asset here. So I want to tell you that in the next 15 years, I want to transition this thing. So let's have some real conversations, maybe not today, but in the net over the course of the next year, let's have a few conversations on where, like, what does that look like? Let's work that backwards, deconstruct it. What gets us to that end goal? And, you know, I, I'm not going to work in this business forever. But when we transition, here's what I want to do. Maybe you don't want to work in the business anymore. You know, maybe you're done and the transition is you sell it. You stick around for a year to do the transition and then you go travel. That's cool. As long as you guys had that conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I do think it is. I mean, the way you say it is just a conversation. Sounds like such a little step, but I do see it as big. You know, you got to get everybody on board. What, what are the kids doing? Are the kids just kind of working in the business, wondering if they're going to take it over one day, wondering if, you know, if they're going to pass it on, what the hell is expected of them anyways? How do their parents know when they're ready to take it over? And parents, you know, probably looking at their kids like, I don't know if he, you know, I don't know if he really wants to do this. I don't think he wants to do this. Well, just ask, you know, open up that line of communication and get kind of clear on it, get clear on it. You know, I, I have a friend, not necessarily in a home service business, but his family owned a business here in town and he had become the GM. You know, he was familiar with one, running the operation. His assumption was, hey, one day dad's going to be done with this and he's going to sell it to me and move on. Instead, his dad sat down and said, hey, listen, we need to have a conversation about what we're doing. He goes, okay, here we go. He said, hey, competitor made an offer and I'm going to sell it to him. 
and we're going to need to figure out how to, how to do this transition. Meanwhile, he's working his ass off, you know, probably foregoing other opportunities, other things he wants to do, thinking he's going to take it over. Yeah, I've got a friend just like that. I grew up working in motorcycle and bike shops, kind of in between contracting and stuff, in between doing screen enclosure work as a teenager. And I got a friend, he's basically his parents own the bike shop that I had worked at. And he's the general manager of it now. And I talked to him from time to time. And I'm like, so like, are you taking over? Like your parents are tiring and he just doesn't know. And he's got to be getting close to 30 is my age. You know, after having this talk with you, I'm going to shoot him a text and be like, man, you got to have this talk with your parents. Listen to this conversation. And if your mom asks, you know, why you're bringing this up, just blame it on Corey, you know, blame it on me, you know, be like, he said it and send her a link to this. Hell, I'll even send his mom and dad a link to this because I've got a good open line of communication with them still at this point. I mean, they've they seen me start this business and, you know, kind of grow up and, you know, I quit working for them at one point. So here I am. So, yeah, so I'll send this conversation to them and, you know, maybe that'll help them out. You know, I, I don't know. I don't consider myself, you know, the Messiah or the great helper of anything. But, hey, if it's out there, if I were in their shoes, this is what I would want to happen. And it sounds like you haven't gone down that road. But you're saying it. That's what you would want to happen. Yeah, early and often have that conversation, you know, that, that ties in well with, you know, there's a local business owners group or business managers group that I started like a kind of a once a month lunch group where we just kind of chit chat about what's going on in our business and how we can help each other. One of the things that, that I bring up early and often is just communication. You have to have communication, period. Whether it's communicating on the intention of the owner, like, hey, where is this ship headed? Or if it's communication with a customer, what are your expectations for this project? Here are my expectations. Let's make sure those two are the same. Or communication with vendors. You know, there, listen, I'll be honest. There's a time in our history where things weren't going so great. You know, in that, when the housing you know, housing market hit a snag and everything shut down for a while and everyone was losing their homes. Not too many people were building fence. And that's the thing. And, but we had a very frank conversation with our vendors and said, Hey, here's what we're going through. You see it in the market. We see it in the market. And here's our plan. You know, we have a receivable account with you that's at X amount of dollars. We cannot pay that this month. It just cannot happen. But Here's our plan for repayment. Here's the jobs we're going to do each month. At worst case scenario, we open the books. Here's what our material costs are. Here's what our labor cost is. Here's what our profit is per job. And understand that you're not the only vendor. So we're spreading this money around. But here's our plan for repayment. There is a plan. We know we owe you money. We acknowledge that. We're not disputing it. But we're going to need some time. We got some pretty, I mean, not everyone was happy to hear that. But they knew it was coming. And one manager said, hey, listen, I appreciate you. And so it's about a three-hour drive to go. We went and talked to him in person. Said, hey, let's grab lunch. We need to talk. And he said, hey, I appreciate you coming up here and talking to me. I have an accounts book full of past due accounts, and not a one of them is answering their phone, much less coming up here to talk to me. He said, you guys are fine. He said, I approve your payment plan. Keep in contact with me. Let me know how it's going. But if you need anything, you let me know. And that's, that's one of the best relationships we have today as a vendor. You're just because we took the time. That's awesome that that worked out for you guys like that. I obviously didn't own my business and had to go through that. And obviously many contracting businesses didn't. So let me ask, just since you pulled it all up there, you know, when the housing crash happened, did it clear out most of your competitors? And then, you know, once you kind of made it through, now you're kind of the one up 
guy? Like you guys had an advantage when it started pulling back and the market started coming back? No. So we still compete with three of the main competitors that have always been in our marketplace. They've always been around. Yeah. So, but now that being said, I mean, you're always going to deal with startup contractors in any industry. You know, for us, it's if you've got a truck and a Lowe's or Home Depot credit card, you're a fencing contractor. They sell everything you need to build fence and you can go build. Yep. You got a truck and a ladder, you're a screen enclosure guy. You can't build a new screen enclosure. That might be a little too challenging. You can go, you know, take off some of our, you know, rescreen and maintenance money, which makes us a lot. So yeah, we deal with it all. Every trade deals with it. You know, everyone's like, ah, you know, this trade sucks because we've got so many of these chucking the trucks, you know, just kind of popping up. Look, we all have. That's not unique. And let's be clear about something. Everyone started there. I mean, you know, we did not, Ozark Fence did not start out as 14 employees, you know, doing seven, eight figures a year. Like we didn't do that. We didn't start there. We started with one job and a truck and Lowe's wasn't around at the time, but you know what I mean? We started there. We started with a job. Everyone starts with a job. So like, let's understand that first, but let's also understand that we did it professionally. You know, so there's, that's our issue is contractors that just are unprofessional in how they do it, both in pricing themselves, or maybe they just don't understand how to price themselves. Or that's usually, and when you're starting out, that's your unique selling proposition is I'm cheaper than so-and-so because that's what you have. That's all you have for, well, I mean, there's a few other ways you can differentiate yourself at that point. Yeah. But largely your price is, is it, you know, that is the, that's kind of the golden ticket. Yep. It's, it's the easiest thing you can do today to, to make yourself stand apart. And boy, is it hard to get off that horse. You know, once you start down that road, you're headed that direction. But really, so in our industry, it sh- it shook out the smaller contractors, you know, the guys that didn't have a rainy day fund, you know, the guys that didn't have a relationship with the vendor. You know, if you're buying your materials on a Lowe's or Home Depot credit card, you can't go visit the credit card vendor. No, they're they're sending your ass to collections real quick. Yeah, then they'll seize assets and all the rest of it. So you cannot have that conversation like you can with you know another vendor. But it shook a lot of them out. They're all back. I mean, we're, you know, what, 11 years into a really great economy, you know, depending on when you say the great economy started. But I mean, we're, we're having the best years we've ever had. I mean, like I said, 30% growth year on year. And I'm not unaware that most of that's due to the economy. I mean, it's a great economy. So everyone's comfortable and everyone's spending money. So they're all back. I mean, we deal with that. But the, so no, to answer your question, no, the turn down, we still compete with the same guys that we competed with then. It was just the smaller guys got shook out for a while. I gotcha. I gotcha. Let's shift gears a little bit here. Was it your grandfather's idea, your father's idea, your idea to make the official color orange? Or I don't know if you call it the official color, but whatever you call the orange, who pulled that one up? Yeah, yeah. We call this Ozark Fence Orange. And, you know, we started this about... Is that going to be a new Crayola color? We're working on it. We're (laughs) trademark first, trademark first. But yeah, no, you know, we started this, we did a color change about a year and a half ago. All right. So you pulled the orange up. Yep. Yeah. And you know, know, it's an interesting story. Why? So on commercial jobs, I mean, our guys are required to wear safety vests just as, you know, an OSHA approved color. None of them wanted to wear safety vests. Insert whatever reason. They're hot. They're scratchy. They catch on things. They didn't want to wear them. So, and it came to a head where on one commercial project, they left and then they came back about an hour later. And I said, what, you know, what are you guys doing back? Oh, we got sent back. He said they weren't ready. I knew that not to be true because he had called the contractor had called me the day before very unimpressed that it wasn't done yet. So I knew he was ready. So I called him. I said, Hey, what's going on? The guys came back. He says, yeah, I sent him back because they wouldn't keep their safety vests on. And you know, an ocean inspector walks in here and sees guys without safety vests 
they start handing out fines to everybody. Like they start looking at everybody. So yeah, I sent them back. And that was the day I said, you know, we're going to start wearing the company uniform is now OSHA color, period. You know, everyone wears orange. Everyone wears high visibility orange everywhere. So because of that color, you guys don't have to wear safety vests? So it depends on the location. The commercial guys still wear reflective. So their shirts look a little different. They do have the reflective orange across the shoulders and down the back. We don't do work around highways or roads. There's stipulations to what level of garments you need to wear. But largely, you guys can avoid the safety vest because of the shirt. Yep. And and we just order a shirt that complies. You know, we order it, we pay more for them, but our commercial guys wear, you know, orange shirts that comply with OSHA regulations in that, you know, they have the reflective material also on the garment. So you guys got the shirts. And then at what point did it, you know, kind of take over? Did it become the website, the trucks and all the other advertising? Pretty quickly pretty quickly because, you know, the thing I realized is I was, I was looking across the job site and I could pick my guys out of all these guys on this busy job site because they're the guys in orange and it kind of clicked. So, huh? If I can pick them out, my customers can pick them out and my potential customers can pick them out from everybody. What we don't want to blend in, you know, as a business, you don't want to blend in with anyone. You want to stand apart say, Hey, this is who I am. And this is why you should hire me. And we wanted to stand apart. So I said, we need to do everything orange, period. I also had a little bit of help. So a, a friend of mine is in the plumbing and HVAC trade. His father had color branded them yellow. I have no idea why it's yellow, but it's yellow. Everything they do is yellow. Their branding is, you know, look for us in the big yellow trucks. You know, that's just who they are. And so I saw that work for them. And then I looked across the job site, saw my guys. And I went, uh-huh. Yep. That's exactly one of those aha moments. Click. I've got an orange blazer that I wear to every function I go to. I also have an orange top hat that goes with it. Every, all my trucks are orange. Everything is orange. We're just known as the guys in the orange. (laughs) I know. Yeah. When I sent out the email before recording this, I put in there, I think I called you guys the orange company. And then I said something like, no, these guys don't grow oranges. You know, obviously once you see the website, your website, which looks awesome, by the way, lots of orange on there. And then of course the trucks and all that stuff. So on that note, we got to wrap up in a few minutes here, but there's something I wanted to talk to you about. I noticed, and it's not on your website now, but up at the top, there was a little like send us a message button on Facebook. I don't see it there now. I I know that you guys can obviously hide things for certain reasons and if people have seen them before. So there's probably a reason why I'm not seeing it now, but tell me what's going on with Facebook, man. Tell me what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah. So that's through uh, an app called ManyChat. We use ManyChat as our messenger platform, messenger bot platform. So that's, we have that at the top of the website. The reason you don't see it is you had hidden it. At one point you're scrolling through and it just got annoying and I don't blame you at all. So I clicked a little X on it at some point and got rid of yep, it? Yep, you clicked and got rid of it. And so if you're on the website, you know, three days later, you see it again. We want to be cognizant of like people don't like to be annoyed. But so we want to be helpful and available, but also not annoying. So that's just a growth tool through ManyChat. So you click on that button, it brings them into, it starts a new Facebook messenger conversation. Then you can start a conversation with Ozark Fence through our messenger platform. So do you guys have like a bot behind it that's trying to suck information out of your leads or I mean, what happens? I click on it. Now I'm, I'm the customer. I click on it. What's happening? It, just click, it says get started. And then you can type in a question, concern, any, any sort of comment. We'll see that on our end. And then uh, we can respond back with you know, trying to answer the question. We're only using it as a line of communication. You can certainly pull you can certainly pull all sorts of information through mini chat, you know, obviously name, location, 
the male or female. I don't think Minichat will pull age. You can ask age, but it'll pull phone number, email address. All, you could pull a phenomenal amount of information. But you guys are primarily just using it to get a conversation, go and send us a message. Nothing out of this world happening behind it. Yeah, it's not inside our marketing funnel. So the, them reaching out to us doesn't show, it may, it may show slight intent, but until they take an action, they don't enter our marketing funnel. How, I mean, just how is it working for you? Is it really a kind of a, you know, is it exploding or is it just kind of fizzling? Is it just something you're poking around at? Yep. We're just, it's, it's fizzle at best. You know, it's, we get a couple good conversations, you know, maybe a month through it. We get a lot of junk. You know, I've, I've got a guy that probably maybe it, an hour of his day, each day is spent clearing out all the junk that comes in through it. Uh, because I mean, people get spammy with content and they want to reach everyone. So you get a lot of that, but we do start a couple of good conversations that may not have come in otherwise. I mean, they click the box and it's right next to our phone number and our contact us email. So, I mean, they chose that medium to talk to us and they, I think the people that we have conversations with view it as, as more of a personal conversation. So one lady had said, hey, when I was talking to her, she said, hey, I messaged you because I knew it was a weekend and I figured you guys weren't answering your emails. Well, that message came to the same phone that the email comes to. You know, I mean, I answered either way, but it's viewed as more of a personal conversation. So, I mean, that can definitely be beneficial in the future. For us in our market, it's not gangbusters. The majority of the, the leads come in through the phone, which is fine. I mean, we have a system set up to to take those in and run them through the system. One day, I, I hope that it could get towards that online conversation. Those are a lot easier to manage. Yeah, that's been my experience with it. I obviously, everybody out there, if you follow me, you know I do a lot with Facebook ads. And I've poked around quite a bit with the chat bots and the getting people to open up conversations. And, you know, we do get, we do, we have gotten some wins from it, but by and large, we just kind of capture a lot of baloney, a lot of low intent, like, hey, are you guys hiring? Do you know where we can find this, you know, number 10 Nilotech screw? You know, where are you located? And, you know, they're way outside of our area. So we, we, we've just kind of, we, we're not doing anything with it at the moment. I occasionally have an idea and we'll either try it on the website or try it through Facebook ads. But despite all the rage out there around the whole messenger bot, which is all the rage in other industries, and I'm sure it works well for them. Well, I'm not really catching any traction with it and just kind of sticking with my traditional Facebook ads out there. We're the same way. I mean, I'd love to hear if someone has a, a great experience with it. I'm always looking for new, like the next great communication vehicle. I mean, we're using it today with the idea that it becomes, you know, a traditional communication line in three to four years. Yeah. Have you done anything with like a, not an email blast, but like a a notification, a mass notification to everybody that you have an open dialogue with there on Facebook? No, to be honest with you, we probably should. We should probably include that in our, every month we send a thank you letter to the customers that have done business with us the previous month. We probably should include that. You know, have questions or concerns, find us on Facebook and send us a message. Uh, we, we probably should be more transparent that that's our preferred conversation, you know, line of communication. Or a, you know, a line of communication, because you got to consider email is, I don't know if you guys do email marketing, but we do. But you know, there's only so many people that get it. It gets filtered off into spam promotion, you know, all those little boxes that all of our emails have now. So not many people get it. And there's so many people advertising in it. But Facebook, well, at least for now, the messenger bot is pretty or not the messenger bot, but messenger itself is kind of wide open. We don't have so much clutter. I'm sure in the next three years, it's going to be a different story. It'll be just like email. But at the moment, there's a lot of 
room. That's what we see. And, you know, that's our experience is that emails that we send out and, and we do email marketing, depending on where you are in our funnel, we'll send you a different message. 30% open rates are phenomenal. You know, I mean, it, it, that's the holy grail of email. It seems like at least for us, you know, 19, 20, 21% is pretty normal messenger broadcasts. 98% isn't crazy. You know, 98% opens is not crazy. And so that's really why we're pushing towards that is when I send a communication, I would really like for it to be read and acknowledged. You know, so a 98% open rate, if we can get our people onto that platform, I would love it. You know, and, that, and that's why we're transitioning that way is I really want to find a way to communicate with my customers that they respond to and that they accept and that they pay attention to. Yeah, I'm I'm in the same boat. You know, after having this conversation, I, we do a lot of we do a weekly email. I might you know see if there's a way we can get that into the Facebook. But I got to tell you, you know, even having what are essentially two marketing people behind me, it's kind of a lot of work staying on top of the website, the emails that are going out, the Facebook ads, and now it's like now we got to send out a you know a Facebook Messenger message, you know, each week, and we got to make sure that everybody's on this list, and we got to make sure that you know they're divided up between our current customers and our past customers and our you know new customers. It's like one thing on top of another, but yeah. If, if one of those things works, well, it works. And the only way you're going to find out is if you try. That's it. That's it. I really want to take our email nurturing sequence and put it into, I mean, we have a chat bot built out for it. The thing is our, our messenger platform simply isn't as robust as our email list. You know, it's just a fact of the current state of, you know, our communication. But one day I would love for it because it's, it's phenomenal. It really is. You can have a, you can have a seemingly personal conversation that's completely automated. Yeah, maybe maybe one day we'll have you back and we can talk about it. You can tell me all about it in a year. You know, you'll have the whole magic chatbot thing figured out. I don't. I hope you do. I don't know if I'll have any. I don't know if I'll be any closer to it at that point either. But yeah, it's like I said, there's so much marketing activity going on. That one hasn't really been on my priority. But I've been at it for almost an hour, so I think it's time that we kind of wind this episode down. Joe, man, thanks for being on the podcast. If anyone wants to reach out to you, get in touch with you for any reason, what's the best way of getting in touch with you? Yeah, so my personal email is joe at ozfence. That's Oscar Zebra, then the word fence.com. And it comes to me no matter where I'm at. Can't really be hard to do. So we'll get this episode out there. That's how you can reach out and get in touch with Joe. Joe, man, thanks for coming on the podcast today. Look forward to having you back. Corey, I appreciate you having me. It really means a lot. Thanks, man. You're welcome. You've reached the end of another episode of the Home Pro Success Podcast. Connect with us and join our collaborative Facebook group at homeprosuccess.com. 